This episode of the Relentless Forward Podcast is brought to you by GI Associates. GI Associates is one of the largest and best uh, gastroenterology clinics in the southeastern United States. Uh, They're headquartered uh, here where I am in Flowood, Mississippi, which is um, adjacent to Jackson, the capital city. And they have offices in uh, Madison, Mississippi and over in Vicksburg. Um, And the reason we are sponsored by GI Associates is because we have mutual interests. Um, And one of the reasons is because they provide screening for colon cancer, and I am a colon cancer survivor. So it's important to me to um, get the word out and raise awareness of the importance of getting screened when when you're eligible for uh, colon cancer. Um, It's super important, and there's no reason to wait. Um, As I've said before, if you've listened to the podcast, colonoscopies are not that fun, but they're a lot better than getting colon cancer. So I would urge you to, wherever you are, schedule your own colonoscopy at your local GI provider. If you um, aren't sure who that is, just do a little Google search. I'm sure you'll find them. If you're in the southeast United States and you want to visit GI Associates, uh, you can call 601-355-1234. That's 601-355-1234. Tell them that RunStrong sent you or that Jeremy sent you, and they'll get you set up with an appointment. Um, It's super important. And uh, it's so important, in fact, that um, I am willing to give you something for free if you go get your colonoscopy at GI Associates. And what I'll do is I will give you three pairs of Features brand socks. Features socks are uh, awesome performance socks. Retail for about anywhere from $15 to $17. They're for sale on my store, my online store, runstrongshop.com. Um, If you uh, get your appointment, get your screening done at GI Associates, get in touch with me either by email or Facebook or through the podcast and um, show me proof of your appointment and I will ship you for free three pairs of high quality um, feature socks of your uh, color choice. I have white, gray, or black. I could probably even get some other colors if you're interested, but it's that important to me um, for you to get your screening done if you're eligible. So make that appointment. Again, that's GI Associates, 601-355-1234. And, uh, get your, get your screening done and then let me know and I'll send you some free stuff. Um, let's see. So what's going on with Run Strong and myself? We have, um, partnered up to put on a 5k up in October. It's going to take place on October 6th here in the Flowood area. It's called the Run Against Traffic 5k. Um, We're putting this on in conjunction with the Vineyard Church of Jackson, Um, and it's important. It's going to raise awareness for uh, human sex trafficking, which surprisingly to me and um, sadly to me actually happens in our own communities. We think it's uh, something that takes place in other countries or other states or big cities, but believe it or not, it takes place even here in Mississippi. Um, So this is an important event. Um, go to my Facebook page at RunStrongMS, look under events, and you'll see the Vineyard Church. They, if you can't make the race, make a donation on their behalf um, uh, for the race. would be really great. We're excited about that. You'll hear more about that coming up soon. Um, let's see, what else we got? Uh, so we have added, um, I mentioned my online store, RunStrongShop.com, and I'm constantly bringing in new products, really What I've done is selected products that I think are the best and greatest products in each category. And so that is one of the reasons I brought in, as previously mentioned, um, Features brand socks. That's Features, F-E-E-T-U-R-E-S. You can look them up. Um, Features socks are one of my favorite socks. Um, They're light. They have some, some have a little bit of cushioning and some are a little thinner. They have 
um, a full range of brands. I have some for sale on runstrongshop.com. You can check them out. And as a listener of the program, if you decide to buy um, three feature or some feature socks, uh, at least $25 worth, um, I will give you free shipping. I will ship them to you. All you have to do at your checkout is use the word uh, code word or discount code podcast. It's all caps podcast, and that'll get you free shipping on really anything from the store, including the next um, product which I recently brought in, which is Goo Energy. It's G U Goo Energy. Um, if you haven't seen their full line of nutritional performance products, they're wonderful. They're great, and uh, I have a full selection for sale. I'll be bringing some more in soon. And again, you spend at least $25 at the Runstrong shop. Uh, you get free shipping if you use discount code PODCAST. That's all caps PODCAST. So um, we're constantly bringing new things in. I'm working on some shoe brands that you can get. I'm really looking forward to getting those in. There's even some new Runstrong apparel, some hats, some shirts, some pretty cool stuff that you can get on the store. Um, and again, all free shipping if you spend at least $25, code word PODCAST, all caps. So check that out. Um, let's see, today on the program, uh, we're back with Mike McElroy, Coach Mike McElroy. He's always great to have in the program, really knowledgeable and insightful. And today we talked about something um, we called super compensation. This is actually a common training term. Um, super compensation training. But what we discussed today was how you can achieve performance um, breakthroughs or just breakthroughs in life using these super compensation techniques, super compensation events, this whole concept. Um, I think you'll enjoy it. It's a little unique um, topic that most people don't talk about. And even Mike talks about in the podcast that it's a little outside the norm of what he normally coaches, but he thinks it's great. So I think you'll find some uh, interesting stuff in this podcast. Um, check it out. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting um, everything we do. And uh, if you have any questions, you can always email me, jeremy at runstrong.fit. Uh, that's it. Enjoy the show. All right. We're live. So this is Jeremy, and I'm sitting here with Michael, Michael McElroy. And Mike just had a piece of advice for everybody that he got from Tim Ferriss that he wanted to share. Oh, the Tim Ferriss story? So... Tim says if you're if you're one of those that struggles either taking action or doing something in public due to fear of what people will think of you, to go to a public place, whether it be a coffee shop or a a bar or somewhere that's crowded, somewhere that's got a lot of people around, and you lay down on the floor for thirty seconds and you just lay there, don't do anything, everybody else starts staring at you, and then you get up and you either walk out or if you're with some friends and you just keep going with your conversation and act like nothing ever happened. That's a good idea. I think we should challenge our listeners to do that and take have another friend take a little video snippet of it <laughs> and they should post it on our Facebook pages. I feel like by us challenging that, that's going to get flipped around to challenging us to do that. I'll do it. I'll video. I'll do it. Well, I think you should do it too. <laughs> you're probably more shy I am. in those situations than I am. That's interesting. I grew up really self-conscious about, like, very, I would never consider doing something like that. And I still have a lot of that. I would never consider doing something like this. A podcast? Yeah. People who knew me from even five years ago or ten years ago would never say that I would be talking anywhere in public. Well, the good thing is you have, like, a good kind of baritone voice. (laughs) So at least you, you know. It, it, I didn't do a great job talking in private. 
one-on-one, much less, of course, I guess this is still one-on-one, but... Yeah. Well, the good thing is if, you know, the nice thing about this is if we say stuff really stupid, well, if you say something really stupid, I leave it in. Yeah. If I say something stupid... (laughs) (laughs) All right. So what today we thought we sat here for about 45 minutes before we started just talking and we we had about... 10 different topic ideas we wanted to talk about, but what we kind of came up with um, was uh, what I call training and breaking breakthroughs and breaking uh, plateaus in training through supercompensation training concepts. I call them supercompensation events. Um, And so we kind of got discussing about that, and Mike had some good thoughts on it naturally. Um, But this is something we had discussed at our at the Run Strong Coaching Workshop last week. Mike missed it, of course. He was supposed to be there, but decided he had better things to do. Right. So I I instead got to handle it and give a lot of advice that Mike probably would have shaken his head at, but I didn't have to worry about it because he wasn't there. So Probably went better then. Huh? It probably went better. Because yeah, then I'm probably going to kill one of my athletes. But <laughs> Now, so what we were talking about with super compensation was, I'll try to describe this, but I think that the and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the way I initially was introduced to supercompensation training was that most training is sort of uses kind of results in supercompensation. You stress yourself in some way, that's your training modality, whatever it is, then you rest and then you adapt. And that adaptation is what they call supercompensation. And that's, you know, so like Mike had an example before we came on, where if you increase by you go from six miles one week to seven to eight technically you're you're forcing super compensation yeah the body the body you, you have to have a stress on the body that's more than what it's used to right to get an, a positive adaptation and so the general rule of thumb with super compensation and the idea in training is give your body just a little bit more so it doesn't beat it up but it does still compensate and get better and so that's the generally accepted right. definition of supercompensation training. Like in, in weight training, we gave the endurance example. You know, you do six miles this week, seven the next. With weight training, it could be as simple as five sets of five on squat, and you do 200 pounds this week, you do 205 the next week, you do 210 the next week, and then you deload and go on the next or whatever, just for a simple example. So that's that's the, like you said, the classic thought on supercompensation models. It's just a small nudge in the direction that you want to go. Right. And same thing for running, you know, and you probably, that's what, you know, a marathon training plan would be a good example for endurance athletes where you're just constantly increasing that long run, yeah. some intensity, but long run. So you're, you're just forcing adaptation. But so what I was talking about in the workshop was a more extreme version of supercompensation training. And I, uh, so when I say supercompensation training, this is kind of what I talk about, and that's events, either very short duration, I call them microcycle events, or a little longer duration mesocycle events, and then really long, long duration, maybe six months or a year, macrocycle supercompensation events, which would be, and events probably is a bad word, but that's the only thing I come up with, because um, I'm not that creative, so let's just go with supercompensation events. But the concept here was that um, if you looked at your graph of everything you did, you probably it's probably if, if you're using standard supercompensation, you probably have s- gradual increases in either training load or even results adaptation or distance, you know, volume. Yeah. 
Um, and that's, but that can ultimately lead to kind of a state of homeostasis where you're just, especially in running, where you're just kind of doing the same thing over and over. I hit this a lot. I've hit it many times over the years where I'm just running a lot. I'm getting a little bit better, one or 2% increase, sometimes one or 2% decrease if I don't recover and adapt properly. So what I've kind of gotten into doing is trying to breaking, trying to break through these with super compensation ideas. So for me, they, they come in the form of extreme, the most recent one was an extreme um, volume run in one week. I did 100 miles in a week, which I've talked about ad nauseum. And then I also coupled that with a big, drastic nutrition um, super compensation. That was the same week, wasn't it? Well, I started the hundred. I started the nutrition challenge about mid-April, and then early May. So about two weeks into it, I started. I decided to do the hundred mile week. So it was kind of an overlapping. The worst exactly the worst timing <laughs> to try to become fat adapt. It was. Ter- it was. But that's what made it such a. That's yeah. really why it was such a good event for me. Yeah. Super compensation um, training. Because it forced me to adapt and figure things out really fast. And it did have a big impact. I mean, I'm, it made a huge impact um, in performance eventually and in body composition, what I was kind of going for. But um, also I've done other things where you can do, <clears throat> and these don't have to be specifically thought out beforehand. They can just be momentary things. So I, you know, I did a 37-mile run last summer just to kind of break out of that rut. I just wanted to go longer and farther than I really thought I could. So what we did at the workshop was supposed to be 40 miles. It was supposed to be 40. Everybody knows that <laughs> I failed. I failed, but I was successful. So quit picking so, on me. If I can interrupt a thought, how much? Because I think there may be two different. Like we're thinking of from a strength training perspective, which we'll get into in a little bit. But from an endurance perspective, how much of it do you think? How much you talked about it with your with your group about breaking through plateaus and using it to break through plateaus. How much of it, in those two examples that you used, the 100-mile week and the 37-mile run, how much of it of breaking through a plateau do you think was physiological and how much do you think was just mental? Man, that's a, I was not prepared for that question. <laughs> I wasn't prepared for this whole podcast. Uh, so when we say we prepared for 45 <laughs> minutes, that means we didn't have anything <laughs> when we came in. You know, that's a really good question because obviously a lot of it is mental. But it was still a pretty big physical challenge. I think the the nutrition oh, the challenge is massively physical. I'm talking about the adaptation specifically. Oh, the adaptation, man, uh, probably probably seventy percent mental. I would say. So when I when I was thinking about it before I asked, I was thinking an endurance model. It would be mostly mental, and I've used that some with my clientele, like they're training for CrossFit or something. I'll get into some of those examples later, but. When I think of it from a strength perspective and how you would do that, I think it's mostly physiological. I don't think it's mostly mental from a strength perspective. I can see that. Well, why do you think that? Well, if we think about it like like some of the examples I've, I think about, like CrossFitters and people in the in functional fitness don't like to go long. When I say long, I mean like 20 minutes <laughs> or more. And they're like, oh my gosh, you got to do a 30-minute AMRAP? As many rounds as possible. So... With that that being said, and really with regionals competitors, they they have to be able to go longer than that, and they're still forty to fifty minutes is going to be the longest they're going to go at regionals. 
but they do have to do six workouts over the course of three days. So like they need to be able to have volume built up, but some people just have a really hard time and couple that with them not going long very often, by often, I mean ever couple of that with even their 12 to 15 minute workouts are different movements. So it's not still not the same as even just doing one modality for 15 minutes. And that's what makes them struggle so much with the long stuff is like, you say you got to go on a three mile run, like you just got to just run for three minutes or you can't stop in the middle and do burpees or do something like that. So that's why I say so much of it is mental. Cause if you, if I tell somebody, cause we do a 60 minute road test for a lot of my competitors and so much of that is just mental. Like physiologically, they can they can do it. They can row for 60 minutes, and then but then once they have done the 60 minute row, now when they have to do a 2k row, it it's a lot more it's a lot easier to attack because they're like, oh, I can just sit here for seven minutes. That's easy. I did 60 minutes last week, so I yeah, can do a, a 2k. That's a good point. And but for, with strength training, sorry, what I was yeah. kind of contrary to strength training, like. There's not much. There is some mental with moving heavy weight, like on a one rep max back squat. Like you can either do it or you can't. So it's got to be more physiological adaptation. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that assessment. That kind of makes sense because, you know, I think about in endurance, especially if you if endurance sports done properly, training properly. I can. This morning I did ten miles, and I when I got done I was tired, but I. With eight after when I was eight miles in at two miles to go, I went a little faster to kind of just make myself a little more tired. So yeah, I was tired at the end of it. But if I had slowed down, paced myself properly, I could have probably run for another two hours. Mm-hmm. But mentally, I was already checked out. Yeah. And I think for you know the mental part, the mental adaptation for me from from the nutrition challenge was just understanding that it's not it's just not that bad. Yeah. And I chose a certain type of nutrition plan that would allow me to actually eat decent quantities of food, mm-hmm. which was a big thing. But just the idea that I could actually mentally tackle a new nutrition concept, which I had an never gone through. Yeah, an extreme one. Yeah. yeah. was That was a big breakthrough. And the mental one, the you know, for the endurance training, I think if I had been, if I hadn't been in two weeks into this, nutrition challenge when i started the 100 mile week it probably physiologically wouldn't have been as hard which would have made it mentally probably a little bit easier as well but because it was so hard mentally i had to fight by sat that saturday morning day six of that week i was mentally done i I got on the treadmill and did a few miles and i just gave up and i was done i was I, i wanted to so I left myself 22 miles for the last day when I really wanted only to have about 14, but I just couldn't, I couldn't yeah. do it anymore. I just checked out mentally. Physiologically, I was fine. Yeah. I spent the whole day at a race on my feet working. It wasn't like I was really that tired, yeah. but so what we did at the workshop, um, and you can do this too, if you're listening and if, so what we tried to do at my workshop was we tried to identify areas in which people have reached, you know, homeostasis. And by that I mean they just are doing the same things, and even if they're even if you they're varying things a little bit, it's not enough of a variable to really change their adaptation, you know, to increase or decrease adaptation. Mm-hmm. Am I saying that right? Mm-hmm. You know, so if if you run 30 miles a week and then you're like next week I'm gonna run 35 miles a week, that's standard super compensation. That's not really gonna give you a big breakthrough. It's not gonna break you through a plateau or breakthrough training. 
Um, so what we did was we tried to pick out three things, up to three things for each athlete to determine where they thought they were having a breakthrough. This could be mental, it could be nutrition, it could be physiological training, whatever, on the bike, on the swim. And then we try to devise a way to a specific actionable plan for them to take with them. Um, and it's sometimes a little hard to, to figure out what somebody should do. Because I have one guy, uh, Charlie, who will probably listen to this. Charlie just has been—he just runs a lot. Not nothing really that long, nothing very short. Just a lot of aerobic stuff. Does some does some speed work and interval work, but felt like he had kind of hit a plateau and just couldn't. He wasn't getting his his what he said was his tempo pacing just is no faster. He's kind of just bottomed out. So I had suggested, well, you know, he probably wants something extreme, either one week of extremely high aerobic volume or maybe two weeks of extremely high aerobic volume coupled by or followed up by an equal period of rest recovery almost doing nothing mm-hmm. um, or I said alternatively if you don't have really if you don't have time for that do a week my I was gonna say work really extremely insanely yeah. hard for that week yeah. less less volume but all high intensity stuff um, and I think he was going to try to do that at some point so if you were designed that like if you were somebody like that, and just based on the information I gave you, what would you have used if I said yeah. design Charlie's week for to give him a super compensation breakthrough? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you could do. I mean, we're thinking hypotheticals. Like, I don't know the guy. I don't know if he's running and stuff like that right now. It's how he runs and how he can take stuff. But if we kept it kept it on a running plan, like not just taking him into the gym and doing completely different stuff, but doing like hill sprints. With plenty of recovery, not like run one minute up, jog down, run one minute up, like not like that. Like run 30, 20 to 30 seconds, sprint up a big incline, rest like three minutes, and do that like six to eight times. Do that like three times in a week, and then come back the next week and see where he's at with that. It's just totally different than what he's ever done before. Yeah, see, I like that. I like that idea. Because like I said, with most people, and it's just our... I guess because of the way we've learned or the way we've tra- always trained, but like if I said to go run hills, we just left it up to him, depending on the person, obviously. He might just do what I said the first time, like find a kind of an incline and you know run a little bit harder up and jog easier down, but never stop running, which is basically an aerobic run that gets a little bit harder and a little bit easier within it. It's not really a massive super compensation. No, it's not super compensation. That'd be good. We do hills, yeah. and that's kind of how we do them. But that's basic super compensation yeah. training. Yeah. So it's not. It's not really uh, questioning. It's not making me question. Well, it is a little bit how I train people in general right now, because uh, I don't think at all we're saying to do away with the old super compensation model. That that obviously works, and it gets it's the smart training plan long term. But what I am thinking about in my head is, is should we be doing these kind of things more often with people? Because I'm thinking about a client that I have right now, a regionals level girl who, if you don't know anything about CrossFit, a very high level female who's been training for a long time. After this year's regional, we're like, you got to get stronger. Like, you're just not strong enough. And we threw a massive strength phase at her that she had never done. Like, typically, you know, a typical training session may be three to six to seven sets of back squat or whatever if we're talking about a strength training plan for this for really anybody so we came in with 10 sets of 10 
of back squats. And it's just totally different than what she's done before. And she's made massive strength gains in the last month and, and, and put on some good weight, which, like I said, she's deep into her training. So it's not like she's just getting this because she's new. This is somebody who's very trained and very experienced. So, like I said, I'm questioning in my head, should we be doing this more often and challenging people more often to go to a really uncomfortable place? Because that's really what it gets down to, is getting really uncomfortable with your training. It does. It's easy to do classic super compensation. And I've kind of come at it from a backwards perspective. I like, so I like being fit enough from an aerobic perspective, from an endurance perspective, to be able to go do things like this. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I, most of the times I come to these things, I come to it the other way. I'm not looking for a breakthrough as much as I'm, maybe kind of subconsciously I am, but I really just want to go backwards and say, I want to do something. Like, I want to prove that I can do something really big and ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And then it ultimately results in usually some kind of breakthrough, either mentally or physiologically. Yeah. But some of it's more intentional. Um, I've been, but I think, so what I'm doing also is about a six-month, I call it a macro cycle of supercompensation, where I've just done more volume and more volume than I've ever done before. And I'm going to do it over a six-month span. Um, are you doing as much or the same speed work in there, or are you taking that back? I backed doing more volume. I probably backed it off a little bit from what I would do if this was a normal marathon training cycle, because I'm training for an ultra, a Spartan ultra, which is going to be interesting for someone like me. And then, but I'm kind of using that as base building for a marathon about six weeks after that. So probably starting in September, I'll start incorporating a little more, um, probably not speed work per se, but more um, uh, tempo or I'll call it marathon pace training. How far is the Spartan? 30, 30 or 31 miles. Let's talk about your plan right now. And 60 obstacles. Yes, six weeks after that? And then six the weeks till the marathon, yeah. You could use an extreme so. idea of what we're talking about and train like you are for the Spartan and not do any of that extra speed or, or marathon pace stuff. And then after the Spartan, do like 80% speed work. Uh, you know, I have thought of that. <laughs> but it's, <laughs> I kind of want to see it's how a bold I, move. it's a bold, bold plan, <laughs> Cotton. Uh, see how that works out. I you. have thought of that because I am going to add for at least, well, it depends how much it takes out of me. You know, 30. I mean this the way it sounds. Doing a 30-mile run, normally it's not going to – I'd be tired, but it's only a couple of days I'll be yeah. fine because I've done so much volume. But 30 miles plus a bunch of obstacles, most of which I've never done before because I will yeah. never have done a Spartan or an obstacle yeah, course race before that. Well, maybe, but I've – maybe. Or it's going to be really bad. 30 miles <laughs> is a long ways when you got to jump over walls and climb ropes. And I can almost guarantee you're more athletic than a lot of people that are going to be out there. Well, that's either that's, I'm 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 afraid that's not saying much about it's them. <laughs> so you just insulted all those people. Thanks a lot, Mike. Or me. I can't okay. decide. You insulted somebody. Maybe both of you. But I like that. I like that it is. So I I was looking back in in 2013 was the most consistent volume I'd ever put in. Coincidentally, it was when I reached. I, I raced at a lower weight which is about what I am now. Probably I might even be a little lower now. And so I did the most volume. 
I had the best training cycle with few, no injuries, recovery, no kidney stones, which I usually get. Um, and of course that was my fastest time. I, and I haven't got that fast again, but I was looking at my average monthly training for that. And in the three months prior to that marathon, I averaged 165 miles a month, roughly. And in this training cycle already in May, June, and July, I've averaged 100, almost 180 miles a month. So I've already increased by 30 miles a month over my highest training mileage yeah. training cycle. And I've done it earlier in training. So I still have a couple, I still have August and September and October, and yeah. November left before the marathon. So I, that's going to be a lot of volume. So I kind of like your idea of jumping into a bunch of marathon pace stuff, even some shorter interval stuff. Yeah, that's what I was talking about, yeah. shorter. Shorter and faster than your marathon. So like threshold, maybe even VO2 max. max stuff. Like with plenty of rest, like a 400 rest three minutes. Wait, you like those long rests. I don't know what to do with myself out there for that. You got to run harder. You gotta, I tell people, you got to run hard enough where you want three minutes rest or three minutes isn't even enough. I can probably do that. I think a lot of uh, – I've noticed this with my training group people. That that is an, That's an art form. Mm-hmm. Intensity in these workouts is really hard for people to do. They all fall into – well, like our – the book we listened to, Primal Endurance, or we both half listened to, um, talked about that where people are in this, they call it the black hole, yeah. where you're kind of going fast, but you're kind of going slow. You're just yeah. kind of not doing anything. And that's like, a... that's like a, I tell people, if you're doing a 400 at this thing, especially if they have a big endurance background, like you should start this 400 like it's a 100 meter race. And then when you get to the 100 meter mark, you just got to hang on for dear life and finish the 400. And then we're going to rest three minutes, and you're not going to want to go again, and you're going to go again. I like that. I'm going to start using that because every time and we Really, go, that's not enough if you do it right. If you have a power, more powerful athlete, they would need like 10 minutes or 12 minutes of rest. That's too long. We'd be out there too long. Well, you'd only do like three or four of them at that point. I have. We have focused recently on I've, – I've just gotten them down to four, five, six intervals and try to get them to work a little harder, rest a little longer. Mm-hmm. Um I think that's important because, you know, it's, it's more challenging when you're training for a marathon because I try not to get, I try to do, you're trying to kind of get in that, in that threshold zone where you're not in the black, black hole, but you're also, you're not going too fast where you burn out because I try to do eight, nine or 10, eight hundreds, you know, with a 400 meter jog in between. So it's sort it's a pretty, there's a lot yeah, of aerobic so contribution a, yeah, to that. It's a different I, workout. Yeah. 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 I'm talking about like we do lactic, lactic. Uh, endurance training. I did a little bit of this with Emil and a little bit of this with Becca for her last marathon. Um, we do it on a rower, but like it starts at like a 200 meter row at 97%. So basically, just just under max effort, and then you rest four or five times a time and do that three or four sets. And and the the goal of that is not you're not training for that pace because they're still training for the marathon. The goal is just an uptick in their ability to use that fuel and for the the basically to make it easier on the brain to run at that pace now because they've gone at that way faster pace. It's really uncomfortable, and now they that other pace seems pretty comfortable. Sure. So it's not you're not, and that's why marathoners and, and I think distance people have such a hard time with this because they're like, why am I even trying to run this fast? I don't ever run this fast. It's like, well, that's not the point. The point is for the metabolic boost so that you have a boost in your aerobic system because of that. 
and it's easier for you to just hold that pace now. Right, and I have a simpler, probably somewhat inaccurate explanation. When I always tell my group, I always try to reiterate before every group, every workout, that's a speed workout, why we do this, because the same questions always Mm -hmm. abound, like why are we doing this? But I always use, I always say, you know, when you're running easy, you're just building your aerobic base. That's how, that's how well your body can process oxygen to burn fuel. And when we're doing the speed work, you're just building your VO2 max. Mm -hmm. You're basically just making it so you can bring more air in. Yeah. That's probably a simplistic view, but it, it gets to the point of people understand that. Yeah. And that's, that's the best way I've ever learned to describe. So you're just, you're, you're, when you're doing aerobic work, you're working on your miles per gallon. Yeah. And when you're doing your, it's like VO2 max work. You're working on like your your horsepower. Yeah, yeah. and I'm I'm intru- I'm not maybe not introducing, but bringing in a third way, which is like you've been on a salt bike, so salt bike sprints, like what those feel like. So like getting runners out there on a on a steep hill, and like I was talking about earlier, like running 20 seconds up sprint where you want three and a half minutes of rest, not where you want 20 seconds of rest. Right. And, you know, the thing with endurance athletes is there's such a variety of how people can. Because uh, that would be borderline, if not strength work. For them, yeah. Yeah, for a lot of people, even for me. Like, sprint, I don't know if you've ever, how often you've ever done that, but you'll be sore all over oh. after doing six hill sprints, true hill sprints. I know what you're talking about. And Your obliques, but, <clears throat> legs, everything. So, one thing that came up last week, I was talking to my wife. She's, uh, when, you know, the, so the speed work we do with our group on Tuesday nights, coach workout, um, we usually do pretty short stuff. I'll do 200s, 400s, just basic interval work because it's good. It's, Mm -hmm. it's good for us. Um, but what happens is she has such an aerobic base. She can run those 200s, 400s pretty hard Mm -hmm. and she recovers extremely quickly. Mm -hmm. And it's hard for her to go, especially if we do them at, we're not on a track, we're at, say, a nature trail where there's people on the trail, you know, going yeah. full blast. Yeah, it's going to be, you're just going to knock people over. Yeah. It's going to be, you're going to fall over, twist your ankle. But what ends up happening is she has to kind of modify the workout a little bit to go a little longer even, yeah. or we have to get her to a track. And I've experienced that too. It's, if I just go to a track and run a bunch of 200s, I can run really hard. Mm-hmm. I'll call it 95% effort. If I recover quickly and I can do it a lot over and over and over. Now, just a few times, though, so this comes up because I've written this down. Whenever we do intervals, everybody always says, what percent effort am I looking at here? And I don't, I try not to give a percent because I don't think they really know. The only way you can really know what it feels like to give, like what you talked about, is we did 400 meter um, tests a couple years ago. And if... And I got in it with two friends who were of similar speed, yeah. one of which, Mane, has been in this program before, and I like to beat him and stuff if I can, but he's, he's a little faster than me, not a lot, just a little when it comes to short distance stuff. There, I admitted that, Mane, and that's just for 400, though. But uh, so the intensity was, I mean, that's, I think that's close I've ever gone to going 100%. Yeah. And when, when we you finished... You 200 interval times, you're like, uh, that probably wasn't... I don't know, but what even proved my point more, I was sore for at least a week after that. It was not a good thing for me to do that. I went too fast, too hard, I think. That was probably 
just as much of a super compensation model that we're talking about as the 37 mile run. Probably so for me. In a minute of work. That was incredibly difficult. And I was so, that's, and it's, so what I'm saying is like when I go to the track, when my wife goes to the track, it's almost impossible for us to reach anything close to that level of effort. Yeah. It's just really hard to do. Now, I can reach it if I'd go to your gym and do some of those workouts. That's what I was about to say. We've talked about that before where, like, literally, and I have people like this all the time in the gym, where they're literally not strong enough to go fast enough to make it hurt and get electric response, like we're talking about. And so, like, that's probably where your wife is. Like, she just, she simply can't run hard enough to make it hurt that bad. Even if you did give her a straightaway without people in the way, like, she can run as hard as she feels like she can run and recover in 30 seconds and do it again. Right. Yeah. And so the only way for her, the way to do that would either be possibly heel sprints or get in the gym and get stronger. So like, she's just not going to get there with running. And we try to do, so I try to do some workouts like that. <clears throat> so sometimes what I do to, to, and there's other people that have that same problem, but sometimes it's just, it's different than her reason. Her reason, I think she's just got such a big aerobic mm-hmm. base. Other people can't push themselves quite as hard. Yeah. So a lot of times we go to the track and we're going to do 400s. And, you know, they're finishing a 400 and they're kind of talking to the person next to them. They're not going hard enough. So I almost often, I just throw in other stuff to do that they, that they can't do without working extremely hard. So I'll throw in wall balls, like wall balls for me. Yeah. So we'll bring in the example though. Like we talk about being strong enough and not being able to go there. So there's a lot of CrossFit people on the other end of the spectrum who can't get a anaerobic response out of wall balls. Because they're easy. It'd be like me doing air squats. So like I can do air squats like almost indefinitely. Yeah. Because like I'm, I've done so many repetitions of that and they're easy. But other people, like, like they're going to burn up within 20 reps. Why are you smiling? <laughs> just, just, I'm smiling because the example gets brought up again. Yeah, like I think you're smiling because episode. when you said some people burn up with 20 reps, no, you, no, you were looking at me. I can see you looking at me. This makes it, we checked it off the list every episode. It's come up. It's got to come up. Aerobic ball balls. But yeah, I agree. And so I throw in, I'll throw in burpees a lot of times at the track. So instead of a much for recovery, I give them 400 and like and five burpees, just five, sometimes 10. What if really you did? Five. What if you did? Uh, to make sure they're not like staying aerobic because they, they do their run instead of like chatting and resting there to doing burpees. So like they're almost constantly moving. What if you did, all right, run a 400 meter lap or even a 200 meter lap, get their time on that. Tell them you're doing eight of them or whatever, get their time on that first one. And then we say, all right, every lap from here on out, you have to start with 10 burpees, but you got to keep your same time on your actual run. So you get them a little revved up first, and then they still got to keep that time. So they're gonna have to push harder to keep that. Yeah. Time. So you're just kind of flipping it. You're just so they're they're just ramping up the effort initially with the burpees, so that they can't be. So they're already breathing, breathing hard. Yeah. But now they got to keep their same time they did fresh the first one. That's a good idea. That's gonna come up uh, next week. No, next week is hills. The week after that, do it on hills. That's a good idea. Oh, burpees before. Oh, that's yeah. Good. Five burpees before hill. Oh, anybody who listens to this and is in the training group, you are in trouble because we're going <laughs> to do is that? burpees and hills next Tuesday. It's technically called Hills and Pizza, but you don't have to stick around for pizza. They have they have meatballs there. Yeah. You can just order meatballs. Um, that's a good idea. I think I'm going to try that. Burpees <laughs> before the intervals. Yeah. But they got to get their time first. Fresh. That's key because they can just slow down everything. Sure. 
So you gotta get a time, a true time first. So don't listen to this. Don't put this out until after you try it. I gotta, I gotta put it out. So they gotta, time. they gotta do a 200 meter sprint up the hill. Say so it takes 37 seconds. So now they gotta do every hill sprint from their last burpee to the, up the hill it has to be 37 seconds. But they got five burpees beforehand. Okay, so whatever. Let's go over that again. So whatever time they set the second time around, they have to add five burpees and still get that time. Yeah. Okay. So we'll say, all right, today we're doing eight, eight 200 meter hill sprints with X amount of rest. Just leave it at that. Say so you do your first one. Get your time. Everybody get your time for your first one. So we're going to keep that. You can even tell them that. We're going to keep that pace. And then say, and you're going to add even three to five burpees beforehand. I like that idea. We'll know who listens to the podcast <laughs> by who who reacts when Same I start this. Yeah, who's <laughs> just walking the person. You <laughs> listen to the podcast. Thank you. But, but no. <laughs> don't do what I said. But uh, so I think... You know, how can people, like in your opinion, what, you know, I, I don't know, all, I don't know who all listens to this podcast, if it's endurance it's athletes. Three people. Sometimes four. Yeah. I think there's four. My wife is one of them. <laughs> she always listens. And she, and amazingly, wow. I always do great. <laughs> Every I've time. always done great. I've never <laughs> done bad. Um, but I mean, what, like, do you think a super conversation event should be very short, like one day, five days, seven days. Does it depend on the training volume that somebody's got in, what they're, you know, kind of how I did it? it be short because I don't think if you look at, like, if you look at your example earlier from, like, the, the three months or even your whole year, you said it was more training volume. Like, I don't see that as, I see that as normal super super compensation plan. Yeah, you're probably right. Um, it doesn't feel like now it. you're just, like, gradually, but you're still like gradually there. So it's not a massive hit i think of it as what we're talking about this extreme model is like a, a big massive hit and in a week i would say probably the most you can do because if it's extreme enough then it shouldn't be able to be sustained for that long well okay but in defense of my macro cycle super compensation i gave you i compared my current cycle with one from five years ago right compared to i was talking about the one from five years ago. six months of before or a year ago it's a it's a big, big yeah. increase. So I yeah. see what you're saying. I was talking about just the three months before that race five years ago or whatever. That wasn't, that was just standard. Are okay. you saying that was, I mean, that was just I standard training. I thought you were training. saying that was super compensation to get you ready for that big No, race. that was standard training with basic yeah. super compensation yeah. concepts. Um, although it was, it was higher volume than yeah. I'd ever done before, but it wasn't. Anything. It was an extreme. Yeah, I was I was still leaning towards it's got to be shorter in most cases because like I said the way I'm thinking of it is if it's extreme enough it shouldn't be sustainable. So if it's extreme enough you shouldn't be able to do it for six months. Otherwise you could have gone more extreme, kind of like we're talking about with one workout. Like if you can do it for eight four hundreds with a minute rest in between, then that we should have gone faster. Well, but now you sound like the, I don't remember, was it, who, which scientist, sports scientist was it that was talking about? His argument was, if you watch marathoners finish a marathon, like they, they look like they're just completely exhausted. Then they cross the finish line and they start walking and jumping and celebrating. And his argument was, well, then they, they should have gone harder in the marathon, but it doesn't, but I've been there and I don't think that's actually genuinely works because it's i mean you could was that endure it might have been in 
Dewar, but I can't remember who the science, who the yeah. guy was, if it was Markor or... I don't, it wasn't the author, I know that. Yeah. We're talking about the book by, if you haven't read it, it's a book by Alex Hutchinson called Endure. It's called The subtitle is Mind, Body, and the Curiously Elastic Limits of Human Performance, and it's one of my favorite books. It's fairly sciencey. It's right? pretty sciencey, but it's, I understood it. I mean, it's digestible, but it's, it's yeah. not like just a weekend read. Of, I mean, I understood it, so it's got to be relatively easy to understand. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I don't know. I, I was trying to think of the best way for somebody to, you know, if they were to do this on their own, it's probably, and mine kind of fall into two categories too. Some of mine are training, mm-hmm. you know, they're training events and some of them are event events. Like, you know, last week we did, or two weeks ago, we did a back-to-back hundred mile bike rides, Yeah. which that I had not trained specifically for that. But my, my, my concept of all this is, if you build enough big enough, I've said this a million times. If you build enough a big enough aerobic base to trans to transition that aerobic and bring it to bear on some other type of event like a long mm-hmm. cycling event, it can be done with just a small amount of training in that modality. Yeah. If that makes sense, so you can small take a big aerobic brace and break base and bring it over to other stuff relatively easily. You still have to do a little bit of that. Yeah. As now, long as it's predominantly aerobic. As long as it's aerobic. You can't bring over. Right. Bicep. Yeah, no, that's not going to work. You're going to have to. <laughs> I mean. That. I've tried it. Yeah. That's not going to work. Yeah. No, but if you want to, yeah, if it's aerobic, you can transfer aerobic ability over to other stuff. Yeah. But that's kind of also what makes it hard to do super compensation events because mm-hmm. if you're truly aerobic, chances are you've never come even close to the, your limits to what you can do aerobically. Yeah, I would say you either, either got to do something you need a coach for shorter, faster stuff, like to either monitor it or show you how to do it or correct you if you're wrong, or just like, like you did a 37-mile run, like just double your distance all of a sudden. I think that's the only way you can go. I don't, I don't think if you're that aerobic with stuff, I don't think you can go out and do one of these sprint-type workouts on your own. I don't think you're capable of it, in your head, unless you're naturally a powerful person. No, you're probably not. No, I would so, agree. You could maybe a group. If you had some group effects, yeah. you'd be... It would probably work. Competitor competition, like you said, when y'all did that, like the competitiveness and you brought it out, like that's how you got to that speed with the people next to you. That was so bad that I'm talking about this 400 meter, we'll call it a race because it was a time trial, but I got put in with two guys who are pretty good athletes and it just turned into an absolute race. And then about two weeks later, maybe only a week and a half later, we did something we called the Ryan Man Track Challenge, which was raising, it was a fundraiser for the Ryan Man Foundation. Oh, that's what we're talking about. No, I'm talking about the one on the trail two oh, weeks before that with Monty and uh, Chris Knipe. I don't think I know about that. You were there. We did it. You were. You filmed us. You recorded it. Oh, at, at the gym. At trail. the gym. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's the one that hurt me so badly. <laughs> So, that's why you lost on the Ryan Man track. No, well, no, but one of the reasons I did so poorly on the Ryan Man one, it was funny. I was so scared after how much pain I had been in the first time I did it <laughs> that when that. the gun went off, I I thought I'll start off a little slower this time because that first one it started off in a dead sprint. Monty <laughs> took off like a rocket, and I know Monty; he always goes hard right off the bat. So I thought, well, I can run him down, and I thought the same thing that second time. But that first one. I took off in a sprint too. I was like, there's no way I can hang on to this. I'm so tired 20 meters in. 
So then in the track challenge, I was racing one other guy, a guy named Joel Neely, who's a good, really good runner, good 400 runner. And my, I was still so, my hamstrings were still so impinged. I couldn't even, I was leaning back. My form was terrible. And I remember the gun went off and the guy I was racing took off like a bull in a china shop. He was grunting and growling and he blew past me so fast. He was on the inside lane. He blew past me so fast that in the first 30 meters, he got the gap that, and then eventually I matched his speed, but he beat me by five or six seconds and it was all on that first like 30, 40 meters. That's what I tell people on a four meter time trial. You start out like it's an all out race. I did not do that the second time I got clobbered (laughs) and it, because I think my, I was so scared of how badly it was going to hurt based on having seen that was because I had never run, not since I was, even when I was young, I don't think I had ever found a way to push myself that hard and that short of a duration time running that's i didn't even for basketball i'd still never that hard that was the hardest i was so sore i think both my hamstrings were pulled sore as you're young and resilient hey are you saying i'm not young now (laughs) i look i look i'm okay for my age how are we on time uh we're at 42 minutes so let's um so to close if you didn't have anything i was going to say the overall uh philosophy of this extreme super compensation model that we're talking about can be taken into other things in life in general, like the Tim Ferriss example. The other example that we talked about before was people that have a really hard time saying no, like both of our wives apparently have a really hard time saying no to people um, and therefore get overwhelmed with stuff that they have to do. They're volunteering here, volunteering there, doing things for other people, and they don't have time for themselves because of that. So the super compensation model for that would be for the next week, and I heard this in a book, Your Journey to Success or something, to, for the next week, say no to everything on the first request. And if you take your time and think about it and you need to say yes, then that's fine. But your immediate response has to be no first so you get comfortable saying no. So your recommendation for a super – this is kind of a uh, personal development super compensation. Yeah, well, I guess the overarching goal is to get something that – like you talked about with your endurance people, somewhere where you're hitting a plateau. This may not be a plateau, but somewhere that uh, you think needs to be challenged in your life and think of an extreme way to challenge that. Not just say like, yeah, I'm going to start saying no more often because we all know that doesn't mean anything. Or I'm going to eat more vegetables. That doesn't really mean anything either. Maybe you, you go vegan for a week or something like that. I'm not doing that. That sounds true. Yeah, <laughs> but something like that. So what is the concept that you want to improve in your life and what's an extreme measure that you can take to try to help make that compensation instead of, you know, and this goes against everything that I do with coaching. Like in coaching, we talk about nutrition changes. We talk about lifestyle changes. It's all small incremental steps. So this goes against all that. What's something extreme that can really challenge you and make you grow? See, I agree. And yesterday I spoke at a local medical clinic and I I told people, if you want to change something, you really have two choices. This is what I see. And this has to match your personality. Or you, and you can do both. You can do one or the other. If you want to improve your health, nutrition, vitality, relationships, financial status, whatever, you can either do a bunch of little small changes. And that's good. That works for some people. Some people's small little changes work. Like you stop eating the cookies and you start just drinking some water. I don't know. Whatever. Or... Or... You just have to do something drastic and extreme. Yeah. And you can kind of do both. I am more of the personality where something drastic and extreme works a whole lot better than little changes. For example, 
right after my wife and I got married, I was I was I'd been single for so long. I always drank out of the milk carton. And finally, one day, and she's so sweet, she she would hardly say anything about it. One day, she was like, I, I probably was picking on her about something she did, and she she said, well, you drink out of the milk carton, and I don't like that. And I said, oh, well, then I'll stop. So I just stopped, and I've never drank out of the milk carton. Even in the middle of the night, when I'm really <laughs> thirsty, I pour myself a little cup of milk, and I don't drink out of the milk carton. Huh? Why are you awake in the middle of the night? Usually because my diabetic, blind Shih Tzu needs to go outside. And if I don't let him outside, i got to <laughs> clean up urine in the middle of the night. So if I'm up, I get a glass of milk. But anyway, so that's a little more extreme. But that's a little more my personality. I like to make to big, sweeping changes. I used to, eat, sweet, I used to drink changes. raw eggs for breakfast before I got married. My wife cut that off. Did you get that from Rocky? I just got it from being lazy and just wanted to get eggs out of the morning. I sometimes put, if I make a... Like a smoothie, I'll put a raw egg in it. Is that bad? Wives are good for us. They make us <laughs> actually cook food and drink out of glasses and things like that. Do you still eat? Do you still eat like Humane raw, stuff. raw ground beef? Just scoop no. it right out. Yeah. So that's what we were talking about: was small changes or really big changes. But I agree. I like so the challenge for the week. You got to comment on the podcast when we put it on Facebook. What's the extreme? measure that you're going to take this week that's a good idea and if if you can't think of one it needs to be 30 seconds on the chick-fil-a floor or some other place or or cups or cups that floor is kind of dirty i don't know i mean no offense cups (laughs) floor is kind of dirty the parking lot was flooded this morning oh well that would be you should have you should have (laughs) laid down in the water for 30 seconds all right, good. That's your challenge. Um, if you have any questions, of course, you can comment on the podcast. You can get in touch with myself um, on the Facebook page, Run, at RunStrongMS, or you can get in touch with Mike McElroy. Do you know your Facebook? Um, he doesn't know. At Mike McElroy. And uh, if you have any questions, Instagram, let us know. Instagram is Coach Mike McElroy. Check him out there. He does some weird stuff on there. The other day he was bear crawling around, which was good. I added that to my workout on Tuesday for my group. I steal stuff from you. You don't even know it. Weird stuff that you steal. Well, it's good. It's good. I like you. That's why I like to be friends with you. You come up with really bad ideas too, and I'm like, oh, that's a good. Bad. Your ideas are actually your bad ideas are actually pretty good usually. All right, that's it. Do you have anything else to add? All right. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.